All right, good morning. Thankful for your presence this morning as we continue to uh, read through uh, the book of First and Second Thessalonians. As we continue this uh, study, you know, last week we kind of got to the very end of chapter 5, the very end of First Thessalonians, uh, but we kind of had to uh, stop uh, before uh, our time was up. So I just wanted to quickly kind of summarize uh, what we talked about last week uh, before we jump into the, the book of Second Thessalonians, uh, which we are going to start here this morning. But uh, last week, if you, if you recall, uh, we talked about how Paul addressed uh, the elders there in Thessalonica, or at least uh, he refers to them as uh, those who uh, have been put charge over them uh, in the Lord. And we, you know, we talked about a little bit about the, the, the eldership and the responsibility of uh, individual Christians towards the eldership and also the eldership towards uh, the Christians that they oversee uh, at the congregation, at their local body. And then we got into where Paul really started, uh, you know, uh, giving one thing after another. Uh, you know, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And then he sort of talked a little bit on the miraculous side of things, telling them, you know, do not quench the, the spirit, uh, that, uh, do not despise prophetic utterances. You know, uh, within the church at Thessalonica, again, uh, the miraculous age uh, worked, uh, happened because, of course, you know, the church was in its infancy. And so they didn't have the whole entire Bible. They didn't have the New Testament to go to to find instructions. And so some of them uh, had uh, these different gifts uh, that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, you know, some of those gifts included prophesying. Uh, some of those gifts include speaking in tongues. Uh, another gift was interpreting tongues. And so uh, randomly, you know, uh, however a God chose to do that, uh, these uh, individual Christians might have had one of these gifts. And so Paul is, uh, you know, telling them in Thessalonica, again, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain uh, from every form of evil. And then we also, you know, talked about how we can relate that in today's uh, church, the, uh, in the age that we live in now, the non-miraculous age, um, that we can still quench the spirit today when we, you know, don't follow uh, the word of God, when we don't follow the words which the Holy Spirit has um, given to us, has revealed to us within scripture. We can quench it when we don't uh, follow it or, or even read it, and we can despise it as well. And so, um, you know, just a review from last week, that's where I believe we finished off. And then uh, the final words that Paul had for them in this first letter, um, he, he, he ends it this way. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, and so, you know, Paul just, uh, you know, finishing off this letter to the brethren there. Um, uh, prayed for, you know, again, that, uh, the whole part of man, right? Uh, your, your spirit and soul and body be preserved. Um, 
be, uh, be complete, completely preserved at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, again, all throughout this letter, uh, he keeps referencing the, the coming of the Lord. Um, verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. You know, is that something that we still do today? No, that was a, a cultural thing, especially in this climate. Uh, I don't think a lot of us would be too inclined to having, you know, people giving us a, a holy kiss, if you will, because, you know, we're, uh, we have masks on and we're, um, you know, trying to stay away from uh, the virus and such. And so, but in that culture, you know, instead of a holy handshake, you gave a holy kiss, you know, kiss somebody on one of the two cheeks or maybe both. You know, that's still a cultural thing today in many parts of the world. They still greet one another that way. Um, But again, Paul says, uh, greet your brethren this way. Uh, He says this also in the book of Romans. You know, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ salute you. And so, um, you know, uh, so again, um, not that we are being commanded to, you know, plant a kiss on every single person, all our brothers and sisters in Christ, but, you know, greet one another uh, with a holy kiss, with an uh, encouraging handshake or uh, uh, with a, some sort of uh, encouragement. But notice verse 27. Uh, I want to kind of point out this, that Paul says, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read uh, to all uh, the brethren. You know, uh, I've heard of congregations where instead of, you know, having uh, an evening sermon, the someone or a group of men will come up and just read scripture. You know, it's that important, uh, you know, to read a scripture from, from time to time, uh, even within uh, the church setting. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read uh, to all the brethren. Uh, you know, I don't know if you uh, like Classes like these where we go line by line by line, verse by verse by verse, and kind of examine uh, everything throughout it. Um, but I, I do, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that. But I know um, not every class we can do that, especially if we're you know, looking at more topical lessons, you know, going from one place in the Bible to the other to the other. But uh, there are opportunities like this where uh, we have these shorter letters that we can examine them uh, verse by verse. And, you know, that's what Paul's uh, uh, asking them to do. Have this letter led uh, not just to the leadership, not just to, you know, the, the, the very spiritual in that congregation, but to all the brethren. You know, even the unruly among them. Uh, remember, because Paul was dealing with that earlier and he's going to deal with that uh, a lot more. So there's First Thessalonians, uh, the first or the five verses of that book. Uh, again, um, he writes this very on in his ministry uh, to them. Uh, and so we're going to move on into 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And this, uh, this letter that Paul is writing uh, to them, the second letter, uh, we only have three chapters. Of course, it's much shorter uh, than the first one, but it's going to continue on with some of the same themes that he dealt with in the first letter. Uh, again, uh, on the coming of the Lord, uh, he's going to... Uh, but he's going to deal with it, as you'll see here in a bit, uh, from a different aspect of it. Uh, he, he's going to continue to talk about those who uh, may be uh, busybodies or uh, unruly or, um, you know, just uh, they're thinking the Lord's coming soon. And so they've just quit doing everything and they've um, they're not doing anything. They're not um, they're just living their life. Um, again, as, uh, as he says here in chapter 3, verse 11, acting like busybodies, le- leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all. 
And so, uh, again, he touches on that in the first book, first letter. He's going to do that again. But uh, we believe uh, that Paul wrote this pretty close to when he wrote the first letter. Uh, So uh, it wasn't like there were years and years and years between the two. uh, But somehow, you know, he got word back that uh, they're still they're still struggling with this. They're still struggling with these things. And so Paul, again, he sends them uh, this this second letter uh, to the Thessalonians. And so, you know, how he kept contact with the church there while he was in Corinth. Again, we believe he was in Corinth when he uh, wrote these two letters. Um, you know, again, we don't know. But remember, you know, he, when he left Thessalonica, remember when he was chased out of Thessalonica and he went down to Berea. And when the, the Jews came from Thessalonica to Berea to persecute and harass him, then he got on a ship and went to Athens. Uh, he was by himself at that time, remember, because then Silas and Timothy, they stayed back and uh, helped minister to the churches there. Um, but Paul then went from Athens by himself and then into Corinth by himself, and he awaited until you know, Paul and Timothy came back, or excuse me, when Timothy and Silas came back. And so uh, we believe uh, you know, that, that Paul sent Timothy back up into Thessalonica you know, because, again, you know, there's probably all these wanted posters all over Thessalonica with Paul's picture on it, uh, if you will, uh, saying, you know, this, this guy's wanted. And so Paul, uh, you know, remember he told us uh, in First, Thessalon- First Thessalonians that, you know, the devil had uh, made it so that he couldn't come back to them. And, uh, you know, th- that's probably why. And so he is, uh, he's got to send couriers in. He's got to send individuals in. And probably most likely was Timothy when we read uh, through these letters. And so Timothy goes, takes this first letter to them. Uh, but when then he comes back to Paul, you know, he relays, you know, what they're dealing with. And, uh, and again, the, their struggles uh, with the persecution uh, that's going on, their struggles with the, the, the second coming, the, those questions that they really wanted to know about. And so, you know, Paul here is, uh, he learns about the confusion about his, about Jesus's return and that it's intensified among them. And again, some were near, um, you know, they were near a frenzy that Christ was going to appear immediately. You know, we, we get that picture there. Uh, look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, verse 1 and 2. We're not going to cover this today, uh, but just kind of notice uh, what kind of things are going on here in Thessalonica. So, so Paul says here, he says, Now we request you, brethren, that we regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So apparently, you know, someone or some uh, some ones uh, were saying that, you know, the day of the Lord has already came. Uh, Maybe it was by a letter, he says. Maybe it was by another spirit or or some other message. But, you know, someone is, uh, you know, kind of getting them in a frenzy. And so Paul says, do not listen to them. those things have not taken place yet. Don't let them shake you from your composure or disturb you. And so stand strong and listen to the words that I'm about to give you. And so, um, you know, whether, again, whether, you know, this was Timothy or whoever uh, went back to them, we're not sure. 
But there's clearly some turmoil uh, within the church as far as uh, these questions, these speculations about the coming of the Lord. And, you know, we see that even today uh, within the church. Uh, You know, there's nothing there's nothing new going on. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes. You know, people are still prophesying the end of days. Uh, people are still, um, you know, trying to uh, formulate that date uh, that, that the end of days will happen. Um, they continue to theorize uh, the, these end time uh, doctrines. You know, uh, in our uh, Wednesday evening class, you know, we're, we're talking about the book of Revelation with the, the young families here. And, you know, that was that's one of the things that we see in our community even today. Right. Uh, You might drive past the church and they'll have out in their front lawn these signs that are promoting, you know, an event that says, you know, come come to our 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 Bible study on the book of Revelation and come unlock the mysteries uh, within the book. And what it's trying to do is it's trying to get people excited uh, to come because they think that there's these great mysteries uh, specifically within the book of Revelation, um, and it's trying to draw people in using you know sensationalism and and trying to, and those types of things, saying that they have the answers, they have the, the keys uh, to um, all of these great uh, things that are soon to take place. Um, but Paul says, "Listen, you know, again, listen to what I got to say. You know, again, at, in the end of." Uh, in chapter five of of, or of book of the first book, you know he tells them that you know again the, the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. You know we don't know when that's going to happen. It's going to be like a woman who goes into labor pains, and uh, you know again you can't predict those things. Uh, you don't know when that's going to happen, so just be prepared. So let's let's jump into uh, this book uh, again, chapter one this this morning in Second Thessalonians. Uh, Paul begins by giving one of his salutations, very similar to chapter 1. He says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Again, very, very similar. It's almost word for word if you go back and look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians of how he, he words this. Again, notice it's him and Silas or Silvanus and Timothy. So it's that group of men, again, are still there. Again, another reason why we think you know, these two letters were written very close together uh, because it's the same group. Um, you know, Paul, you know, sometimes he'll use uh, the we and us when he's writing in these letters, but uh, most of the time it's I. You know, it's, and that's you know, why you know, Paul is the author of this letter. And so um, the author, uh, again, commonly uh, uses those, uh, those pronouns, we and us, but uh, most of the time it's I. You know, I um, say this, I say that. And so, um, again, the, the return of the Lord loomed large in both of these letters, and we're going to see that again here in chapter 1, it, indicating that they were uh, written, again, fairly uh, new or fairly in a brief time, uh, one after another. Um, now, let's make this point as well, is that this second letter to the Thessalonians is a further uh, indication of Paul's uh, unwillingness to, you know, baptize people, to start a church, and just uh, abandon them. Right? That's not Paul's uh, mission. Uh, that's not Paul's philosophy. Uh, he, he, he went into Thessalonica. He, he created uh, or started a church there. He, he 
he may have baptized individuals, maybe not, um, but he is not just leaving them and going on to another place. Right? He, he, is, uh, he is there, uh, or excuse me, there in spirit that he tells us there in, uh, in the first book, uh, even though he can't be there physically. And he does that through his letters um, to comfort them and encourage them and, and to strengthen them. And so as we move on from the, the salutation, uh, let, let's notice that again he comes up to this theme of enduring uh, tribulation. So he, he writes in verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak pro- proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions, and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So you know, Paul begins this letter again uh, with thanksgiving and praise. You know, just like the first letter, uh, he chose to do it this way as well. You know, he, he could have had plenty to criticize. You know, why can't you guys get it right? Uh, you know, I've got bigger fish to fry. You know, I'm, deal- I'm here in Corinth and, you know, the church in, in Corinth has all these different problems and I don't have time to spend with you. But again, he doesn't do that. He takes it very gentle with them, uh, knowing that they, they are new babes in Christ, a uh, new church, and that um, he, he doesn't criticize them at, at all in, in those uh, ways. But Again, he gives them this, these great uh, thankfulness for them. You know, I always give thanks to God for you, he says. Uh, you, your faith is greatly enlarged. You know, that was the theme of First Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, uh, their faith, he was just so uh, admired their faith, how it was spreading throughout all of Macedonia and Achaia. And then he reminds them here uh, basically two things uh, that are essential to the area of their um, that they're growing in. He says, number one, faith. Your faith is greatly enlarged. Um, and then their, their love for one another. Uh, notice back in chapter, or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 9 and 10, Paul wrote, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel excel still more. Remember, uh, he told them in the first book, uh, you know, you guys love one another, and that's great, but I need you to excel still more. Well, we see that this is sort of Paul's prayers being answered, because he says uh, the love for each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. It's continuing to grow, and he's thankful for that. He sees that his prayers have been answered. Uh, And then in verse 4, again, he wants his readers to know that they were uh, inspiring other Christians whom they had never met because of that faith that he had boasted about about them. Not boasting in a bad way, but, uh, you know, these these Christians were truly amazing uh, to um, to that that region because their faith was going uh, throughout. And doesn't it make us feel good when. Um, you know, someone says something good about the congregation here in Columbia. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, if you go back into the, you know, the foyer in the back, you know, on our bulletin board, you know, there's a letter there from uh, Brian Hall. 
you know, Brian was here a few weeks ago, uh, who is our, the missionary for Guyana uh, that you know, goes down there from time to time. And I actually I think he's down there right now uh, doing some work. And if you go and read that letter, you know, it's very encouraging about the church here because, you know, when he came, you know, we donated some old Bibles. We donated some old songbooks uh, to the cause of the churches in Guyana. And so he had those boxed up and shipped and sent down to Guyana and spread throughout the churches down there. And they're just so thankful for those things because, you know, they can't just go, you know, to a Dollar Tree and purchase a Bible for a dollar. You know, they can't do that. And so it relies on, you know, the, the kindness of uh, congregations uh, like us, for instance, to uh, send those uh, down there, or at least to send them to Brian, and he coordinates that being sent down there. But, uh, you know, I, I think he might even had pictures on Facebook of some of the, the, the churches down there with those Bibles already, those songbooks already. And, and they're just so very thankful. And so, um, you know, because of that, you know, the, the, the faith of this congregation, uh, you know, it's spreading. Uh, the, the people are knowing about that, are hearing about that. And so that's a good thing, uh, you know, that I can see that from here, um, from, you know, in, you know, comparing us and uh, the church there in Thessalonica. So, again, there, there is persecution we know in Thessalonica. Um, there was persecution when Paul was there. There's still persecution there. Paul has to continue to encourage them in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions that they are still enduring. Why does it, let me ask you this, why does it seem like when persecution is abounding that, um, that, that the church is growing? It, it kind of seems a little bit backwards, doesn't it? You would think that if you're being persecuted, and uh, if you're being afflicted, that it would cause others to, you know, hide, hide out and to um, not share the faith. But as we talked about in uh, Acts chapter 8 the, this morning in the lesson, you know, when, when the early church was persecuted, they went out preaching the word. You know, why is that? Why does it seem like uh, when, when the church is being persecuted and afflicted that we endure even stronger? idea i mean we can uh when things are going good you know what what tends to happen okay yeah we're relaxed we're complacent we're just you know letting things roll by um and i mean we're maybe not as trying as hard as we should but when you know, when, when you think about, obviously, we have never experienced anything uh, to the magnitude of what this first century church did. But if you could put yourself in their shoes, if you could think about, you know, how they were persecuted and how they were treated, you know, what might, um, how might we have reacted to that? You know, would we uh, want to, uh, you know, get the cause for Christ out further? Would we want to spread the gospel? Uh, you know, that's exactly... Uh, what they did. And so, um, right. They're uniting more and more together. And then look at verse five. I love this verse because he says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Maybe your translation says this is the manifest evidence, but this 
you're going through persecution, you're going through affliction. This is evidence of the fact that God's righteous judgment uh, has been upon you and he's considering you worthy of the kingdom of God. You know, Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Christians will be persecuted if they're living a, a faithful, true Christian life. And so God's molding their lives to make them fit, make them fit subjects for their kingdom. Um, and Peter's making the similar, you know, he makes a similar point in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 7. If I can read this. Here quickly, First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he says, So that the, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? Through afflictions and tribulations, uh, Peter says that your faith uh, is more precious than gold and silver. Uh, even when it's being held to the fire, uh, it's holding up. Uh, it's standing strong. Uh, it's being found as a result, uh, he says, again, uh, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, again, you know, our faith is strengthened during those times of persecutions and afflictions. And, again, um, you know, we, we just don't know how hard they uh, had it um, in the first century uh, because Christianity was, was not a very much like thing by the Roman government. And so, um, so it, we've got to do our best to put ourselves in their shoes and, and just to know, uh, again, that, uh, hear Paul saying, again, this is a plain indication of God's righteous, righteous judgment that you are going uh, through these things. And so I want to move on into this next section, uh, Paul's beginning in verse 7. Actually, let's, let's back up to verse 6 because it kind of conjuncts into verse 7. But he says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, he, he uses a lot of different uh, terms, doesn't he, when he, he's talking about this day, uh, the day of Christ. Uh, we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, the parousia, uh, the second coming, the coming, the coming of our Lord, the revelation of Jesus from heaven. You know, again, these are all the same events. And for... Um, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, you know, Paul is uh, giving us a sense as to uh, you know what this meant for those who had fallen asleep in the Lord. Uh, but now he's kind of talking about the the second aspect of it, the the other side of the coin, if you will. He, he's talking about those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You know, what is that day going to be like for them? And so notice in verse 8, he says, dealing out retribution. Again, maybe your translation says a vengeance or, or, or retribution, whatever. It carries the sense of God is, is going to provide justice. He's uh, not revenge, but he's going to provide justice. Uh, what does it mean that God is just? I mean, what, what does that mean? It's not 
Okay, yeah, he's not biased. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, uh, Paul wrote, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Right? God is a just God. Uh, he, he deals out justice just as he says uh, he is going to do. And so um, as Christians, we should find no joy at the suffering of you know, those who, are, who do evil, of course. Um, but again, this, is, this isn't, God is not talking about petty uh, vindictiveness right uh, here. He, he's saying that he's going to um, give relief to you who are afflicted, and um, he's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. And so, um, you know, this isn't God being vindictive, but this is being God being just. He is a just God. He says that, you know, we have to either pick one or the other. We can either follow him or not follow him. Uh, those who choose not to follow him, uh, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Uh, notice this, the, uh, focus on this word eternal. In Matthew chapter uh, 25, read a verse here in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 46. When, when he's talking about the day of judgment again, and remember he, he, talks, in, he, he talks in this passage about you know, those who... Um, who fed and gave uh, water and provided clothing and that type of thing for, for people. And he, he ends that um, statement by saying, uh, these who didn't do that will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Right? So there is a, an etern eternality uh, to uh, this verse. There's either eternal destruction or uh, eternal life. How does the Bible describe eternal destruction, a.k.a. You know, hell? How does the Bible describe it? There's many different ways. What are some that you can think of? Separation from God. Okay, yeah, that's definitely the, the biggest one, separation from God. Darkness, yeah. A place of darkness. Painful. Okay, painful. Kind of the flip side of darkness is also a place of, of, of fire, you know, flaming fire. You know, how is that going to work? You know, I, I just don't know. Um, but uh, because when we think of fire, we think of, you know, light and giving off a radiance, but it's also described as a place of darkness. It's a place of gnashing of teeth and wailing and torment. And, you know, this verse should, you know, it should really frighten us to, um, to you know, make sure that we are on good terms with God because uh, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. You know, eternal, again, uh, forever. Uh, there's no end to it. And so um, let, let's finish the last two verses. I know our time is about up. Uh, but um, 
verses 10 through 12, Paul writes, When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end, also, we pray for you always for that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that, those are some you know, very, very comforting words as Paul uh, finishes First Thessalon- or Second Thessalonians chapter 1. That when God comes, he is going to glorify uh, himself in us right? and we in him. You know, when we think of, um, you know, we don't congratulate the painting, right? We, we congratulate the painter. We don't congratulate the music, but we congratulate the musician, and so, um, you know, when the Lord comes, we want to, or we're going to glorify him. Um, you know, what does that word glory means? It means splendor, brightness, honor, majesty, and power. Um, when, we re- when he's revealed from heaven, we are going to confess him to be, uh, to be or we confess Christ to be uh, with him and, and with glory. And again, this is going to be a great day, a great day for us um, when, when this day happens. Or maybe we'll, um, maybe it won't happen in our lifetime. But either way, it will be a, a great day, uh, and the Christ will be glorified. Uh, I know Revelation chapter one verse seven talks about how every eye will pierce him. You know, everyone's going to see this day uh, happen, uh, even those who had pierced him, even those who uh, were against him, and so, and so it's going to be. Um, it's it's just again, it's going to be a glorious day. Uh, I appreciate your attention. Uh, this morning, uh, next week is sort of as we go into chapter two, uh, the man of lawlessness. I don't know if you've studied much on this, but it, it's a little bit of a tougher, deeper subject. And so we're going to talk about who this man is uh, in chapter two and just what this meant for them in uh, Thessalonica. So appreciate your attention. Brother Michael's got our closing prayer for us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly